Hello and welcome to the Saturday Nonstop Podcast. He is Chris Baller. I am Connor Pira. I am thankfully not Jed. What's his name? Um, the Bachelorette. Man. We got to talk about this. So Alabama Hannah got her heart broken, as many were anticipating. Um, once again, though, I'm sure you were you were on top of this. Auburn pulls off a massive upset of Alabama. Go figure. Who would have saw that coming? I feel like I feel like Bama won that. First off, I don't like what you're doing right now. Um, because of, like the the ex that he just that, I feel bad for that girl. She just got completely not thrown under the bus because I mean she that too. But like like I feel I feel bad because at no point did he ever try to make it seem like he had any feelings for her at all, which he obviously did. I just last night was not I, it was not fun TV for me. It was great TV. It was fascinating for for those like for those of you who don't watch the show. I, I realize like we're we're talking about a show that yeah whatever we watch it with our significant others. It's a good way to spend a Monday night, Monday or Tuesday night, um, whatever. But it was fascinating to watch the way that things unfolded with with Jed, somebody who I, dare I say hated more than SEC officials and hated more than Luke P somehow. Yeah, like, go figure. Luke P what is kind of, kind of world are we to living in? I just like I just when he showed up to the what ended up being a proposal with an acoustic guitar Ugh. i about lost my mind because i just Barf. i that is like one of my least favorite talents in quotes for people because like he's, and, he's terrible he's, he's not even any good he's not good I, I used to i used to always say this when i like first started doing comedy it would bother me so much cause it's like all right if you're doing comedy you have to come up with all your own jokes you have to come up with like all your own punchlines all these stories, and it has to be new, and it can't be, you know, you can't do the same same routine over and over and over again. But I could never go up on stage and be like, just do 30 minutes of Seinfeld jokes. You have people that can literally make a living and be like, I'm going to sing somebody else's songs. And not even do it well. He's terrible. He's just awful. absolutely terrible. Bad, bad night for uh, for our boy Jed, by the way. Uh, not our boy at all. No, um, at all. But our, our boy uh, Tyler C., Maybe one of the most beloved TV personalities I've ever seen. Holy yeah. cow. I've been seeing from the jump that that guy looks like he was a Bama quarterback. Apparently, he was a quarterback at FAU, though. Back in the Was day. he really? Yeah. That's that's what his profile pic is on Twitter. I don't Jed's head is too big for his body, and he wore a belt when they were out in the ocean the other day. I, there's a lot of stuff I don't like. Let's talk about some football, though. Yeah, let's talk about some football. We've got good stuff to get to today. Uh, did an interview with Mr. College Football himself, Tony Barnhart. Something that really tapped into your your college football nostalgia, man. hit a lot of those those good good old like childhood bones. You're just like, oh man, this is this is really kind of digging into the core of like why I became a college football fan. Yesterday was uh, one of the coolest days of my entire life, and I don't I don't care. I don't I know a lot of times I will uh, romanticize stuff or over <laughs> overreact to stuff. I didn't I don't feel like this is one of them. Tony was absolutely awesome. So we'll uh, we'll kick it to that a little bit later. But before we do that, okay. This is a concept that I've thrown out, and I'm glad that we're finally getting the chance to discuss this. It's not going to be as contentious. I'm going to say this from the top. It's not going to be as contentious as Position U the other day. For those of you who listen to the podcast Ooh, yeah. on, that came out on Tuesday, you know that we came up with these various um, positions for the positions that really kind of... Uh, what's a better way to phrase this? I'm, I'm falling over my Don't words Don't ask here. me about words. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, we SEC came up with teams. the SEC position U, basically. Yeah, yeah position SEC U for teams. only SEC teams. And we missed a couple, just flat out missed a couple. Arkansas tight ends, that was brought up. Um, oh, yeah. Shoot. There were a few that we definitely missed. Uh, uh, Will Wade Gang, who is one of my favorite people on Twitter, he was not happy with me. 
Aye. All yeah. right, not the best look. So we'll, we'll try and correct ourselves a bit today. What we did here, we're creating the SEC super team. Mm -hmm. So essentially, you take the position groups, the best position groups from the SEC, and you pair it up into one team. So we'll start off with quarterbacks. I picked, obviously, Alabama. But it's not just because of Tua. It's not just because of Tua. The limited amount that we've seen from Mac Jones, I think, in the last year, what he's been able to do with Danny Enos, everybody was talking about how much Jalen Hurts developed with Danny Enos. I think Mac Jones developed with him as well. And I think that that kind of changes things a little bit in terms of like when Tua is going to go to the injury tent. Yeah, everybody's going to freak out. But maybe, just maybe, they'll be like, oh, Mac Jones could probably step in and lead us to a playoff berth. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of more arrogance and overconfidence of like with people saying that like a year ago. Um, I think now that it's you know it could be a reality. And Saban even said he said at media days and said it, uh, you know a few more times like when he's made the media rounds uh, that like what they're going to try to do this year is have a backup ready and not just have two in you know for the I don't, I, this sounds so bad but like the entire second half because I'm assuming they're going to be ahead by a lot of like especially with how easy that schedule is. But, yeah, I mean, that kid's going to need to be ready just in case. As we've seen several times last year, if Tua gets rattled, if Tua gets hurt, somebody's got to step in. I think we really need to change his name to Mike Jones. Who? To Mike Jones. Who? Mike Jones. There you go. That's good. 281-830-8004. That's it. Yeah. Get Mike Jones yeah. up on the low because Mike Jones yeah. is about to blow. Here we go. Um, he did not blow after that. Uh, he did not. Fun fact. No. I think uh, if we're doing honorable mention, so that's what I want to do with with each one of these position groups is look at like the honorable mention, um, you know, a few candidates that I'm sure like we'll, maybe we'll hear it from these fan bases of saying like, oh, why don't you consider you know our position for this, uh, or our team for this position, LSU with Joe Burrow and a heavier and healthier Miles Brennan, I think is part of the conversation as well. Um, I can see that. Florida with Felipe and Emory Jones. I like I, I like Emory Jones a lot and yeah. think that he's going to have potential to take over Dan Mullen's system and do really really well. Um, I, I think you're going to see more of Emory Jones this year too, with not you know no longer with the redshirt threshold. And then this one you're going to call out bias for this, but yeah, I, well, I'm just going to throw it in there. Mississippi State with Tommy Stevens and Keaton Thompson, just because having two veteran guys in this day and age of transferring with the transfer portal and all that right. stuff. It's just very, very rare to have that, to have a, a, a backup potentially with experience, whether that backup is Stevens, whether that backup is Thompson. You're going to have a, a situation where you, I think you would feel decent about at least having one of them start at quarterback. Well, I mean, from a passing standpoint, the bar's been set pretty low from, from the quarterback that, that just graduated. Yeesh. I mean, I'm not saying that to be you know rude or anything like that, but he, he, was, a, he was the worst passing quarterback in the SEC. Speaking of Nick Fitzgerald, did you hear that he got injured playing beach volleyball? No. He tore a hamstring. Yeah. Tore, or pulled a hamstring? Pulled a hamstring. There's I a big difference there. Yeah, Top Gun scene. That's all I pictured. I mean, that's, 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 that's a lot about you. Consecutive episodes. Consecutive episodes that Top Gun beach volleyball scene has been brought up. That's weird. Yeah, and the Bachelor yeah. on this one. So I disagree with you on this one. I don't, I don't like this one. It's hard also, like, to not put UGA on here just because of how good Jake Fromm has been. I know, but, I, but if we're looking at the backup situation, yeah, Stetson Bennett, who is your favorite, <laughs> everyone's lawyer favorite DUI lawyer, DUI lawyer, 
Um, I mean, yeah, we, we saw, he looked good in the spring game. I'll, mm-hmm. give, I'll give him credit for that. Um, Dwayne Mathis, who's dealing with with health issues right yeah. now, obviously, just kind of a kind of a different situation, obviously, than than last year where we, we were talking about Jake Fromm or Justin Fields. Obviously, if Justin Fields is still at Georgia, George is the easy number one choice for this. But I was looking, I tried to consider the backup situation because right. I didn't want to make this just about oh, who has the best player at this yeah. given position? That's exactly. too easy. Um, I, I will say. I threw in some wild cards here. Auburn and South Carolina. Auburn's interesting because I feel like maybe a month into the season, we could definitely say that. I left Auburn out just because they're both freshmen. It's, it's yeah. such an unknown right now. But Wait. yeah, the talent is definitely... Joey Gatewood's a redshirt freshman, okay. technically, so he gets counted as a right. freshman. But they don't have the game experience, necessarily. So that would be... That, that, that would be something that maybe three, four weeks into the season, we're looking back, we're like, yeah, Auburn's in great shape right. either one of these guys. And I think, you know, Bentley, I've been hard on him. I mean, we all have, like like this entire offseason and last year, because he has not progressed anywhere close to where we thought he would. Yep. But I think maybe like some, some competition coming in finally at that position with uh, Hill Sankey. Um, I, I, I live for the day in which you actually, you, you say Helinski by accident. That's what's going to happen. No chance. No chance. Um, these colors don't run, Connor. But no, Helensky, there you go. Uh, like, like just providing competition, I think, will be big. And then also, having Tavian Feaster, I, I feel like, is going to be a really big deal for this offense. Yeah, that's a good point. That's something that we've probably overlooked a little bit. And we've talked about the South Carolina offense. Not to get on too much of a tangent here, yeah. but... Um, Brad Crawford, I know, is, has written about this, and he went on Feinbaum yesterday to talk about the impact that these, the Clemson transfer is going to have in South Carolina and how South Carolina, I mean, let's call it what it is. The run game has just been a disaster under the Will Muschamp. It, it's been yeah. terrible. And, you know, for all the things that we criticize Jake Bentley for, it's worth noting that when you have a running game that can't do anything, it's kind of tough on a quarterback when teams are able to just sort of sit back and he's not able to pick them apart the same right. way that he would if he was dealing with, with different type of coverages. So I'll give him the benefit of the doubt there. That's fair. Um, yeah, and I do think that, you know, once we get into the season, the Auburn quarterback situation could be a lot better than we think right now. Anyway, yeah. running backs. Running backs. This is easy. Georgia. It's, I, I'm going DeAndre Swift. Give me, I, I, and I know that people are really excited about him, and even if he doesn't pan out, I would still give Georgia the nod. But Zamir White is somebody that Georgia fans are super excited about. Um, and then James Cook, let's not forget about him, and Brian Harrion, who has, has been in Athens for the last 15 years, I think. For for real, he has been there since I, 1990, like before Y2K. It's amazing. He he could tell some stories. He should write a book. He should definitely write a book. Agreed. Um. Yeah. But yeah, that that group. I mean, I know Georgia's basically owned this title for, I'd say, almost every year of the playoff era. Not not quite every year. I think last year Bama would have held this title just with Josh Jacobs, Damian Harris, and Najee Harris as well. Right. Um. But I think. I, I mean. Anytime you're talking about Chubb and Michelle, I think that Georgia would have been able to, to make that claim. And obviously in 2017 when they had Swift in there as well. But um, I'd, I'd give the nod to Georgia. You wouldn't, though, it sounds like. No, I would give the nod to Georgia. I just don't think – I don't think Bama is far off here at all. I don't think Bama's that far off. I mean, I think I think Brian Robinson is, is going to be like, – if there's any position they just absolutely reload at, it's running back. Yeah. And, you know, I think with Trey Sanders coming in, with Brian Robinson, you know, being there – I think Ronnie Clark finally graduated after 30 years uh, and like trying to complete his undergrad. But with with those two and Najee, I, th- I think Najee's going to see a, a, a lot, a lot of carries this year. Oh, but absolutely. I would still have him Georgia, behind there. Yeah, Georgia's a little bit, just as DeAndre Swift is more proven than, than Najee at that level. Yeah. Uh, Trey Sanders, somebody that 
very, very promising. Good gosh. He, he's got some high expectations of himself, as we know, because he's going to win the Heisman this year, yeah. according to Trey Sanders. But, yeah, I would still probably say Georgia has the nod. And Hold then on, real the quick. Other one, oh, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just, just going to say, I, I think Florida is also interesting, too. I think the depth in that backfield, especially if Malik Davis can stay healthy, that's that's big for them because Lamical P. Ryan Lamical. is somebody that he's, he's going to get a big workload. Everything that you hear out of Florida suggests that he is going to be treated like a true feature back there. And then Damian Pierce, somebody who's probably been a little bit overlooked in that backfield with all the stars that they've had in recent memory. No more Jordan Scarlett there, of right. course. But that's a backfield that I expect to be one of the best in the SEC, despite the fact that they have all of that turnover on the offensive line. So I, I like everything you said there. One thing I would add is uh, a little bit of a wild card here, Ole Miss. Interesting. With Scotty Phillips and Jerry Neely, that's, yeah. that's, a, that's a good potential combo. Yeah. I, I, I kind of forget about Scotty Phillips. I'll be honest. Like when, when we discuss the best running backs in the SEC, you forget that he had over a thousand yards from scrimmage last right. year. He had double digit touchdowns. He had I think in that offense. one yards carry. In that offense, which was trailing a ton and threw a ton last right. year. And he was able to put up those kind of numbers. Yeah, I, that's that's one that another one, like Auburn quarterbacks, maybe three, four weeks into the season, they're a very worthy of being in that discussion. Yeah, I agree with that. Receivers, this is the most obvious one of the entire of the entire group in the history of football it's bama it's not close it's the most loaded group of receivers in the country one of the most loaded group of receivers we've probably seen in the 21st century from a returning standpoint um i'd have to go back and look at all those numbers but i can't imagine there are too many situations like this where you have somebody like jerry judy coming back with henry ruggs with jerry waddle with devonta smith just absolutely loaded i i wrote in the in the article that came out in sds i said you're allowed to have everybody's allowed and entitled to their own opinion, but if their opinion is that Bama doesn't have the best group of receivers in the SEC, it's just wrong. Yeah, that's agreed. all I can say about it's it. It's not even close. Um, I, I would agree with that. I, I would say second is Florida. I think I think Flor- they're, Florida's deep, very yeah. deep. They're 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 kind of like a lot of these. Like you know, it's it's a battle between like who's two through four, who's three through five, stuff like that. But I, I feel like here Florida is kind of head and shoulders above LSU, and LSU's got a really good receiving core. Yeah, I'd say that Justin Jefferson is better than any one Florida receiver uh, if I'm if I'm picking. But I would say that Florida's depth is is just at a, at a different place with Van Jefferson, right. Trayvon Grimes, Kadarius Tony, who oh, yeah. is probably going to get more than six touches a game Still this year. Still blows Maybe. my mind. We'll yeah, Tyree Cleveland, Freddie Swain. Um, another one on here that we haven't talked about a ton. Um, just because they didn't have like that all SEC year, but I think they right. could. They're all in the same class with Kellen Mond. These guys. But the combination of Courtney Davis, Kendrick Rogers, and Cameron Buckley at AM is going to be really, really interesting. Yeah. Now that Jay Sternberger's not there, now that Travion Williams isn't catching passes out of the backfield, that's that's a trio that I think could put up some really good numbers and have a lot of potential in that offense this year. No, I agree. And also with Cooper Cup coming in. Oh, good point. Yeah, the number one tight end in the country. Baylor Cup. Baylor Cup. Baylor Cup. Yeah. Cooper yeah. Cup? Cooper Cup's the NFL player on the Rams. Okay, there you go. Yeah. Gritty. Uh, player for for the Rams. There it is. Yeah, Chris Doring, player for the Rams. Um, tight ends. This one is it, it's tough with tight ends because really only one kind of gets to shine. So I don't I don't want to just spend a bunch of time talking about Alberto, but it is Mizzou that I yeah. that I picked for this. Um, but besides the fact that Alberto is really really good. By the way, I always forget this with him. He's essentially had one and a half active seasons. I yeah. this is going to be his fourth year at Mizzou, but he's only played in eighteen games. And he has 17 touchdowns. I'm sorry, like, what was that? He has 17 I touchdowns in 18 games. Yeah. That's um, 
Really, really good. If he wasn't hurt in that South Carolina game last year, I've said this a bazillion times, I, I, they would have won that game. And if it didn't monsoon, like, yes, it was a that is also or true. Something. Um, but the, the other guy to, to remember with Mizzou that, that they're really excited about is Daniel Parker, who's a converted defensive end who, like, just switched positions in the middle of the year last right. year and then ended up getting all, uh, all freshman, all SEC honors. Um, because turned turned into like a just a versatile blocking pass catching tight end and did some good things for him uh, down the stretch. But he's a name to to keep an eye on as you know the Alberto era ends um, yeah. in Columbia. But the other one on here, so we just talked about them for position U in the SEC. Uh, how about Arkansas tight ends? Yeah, I could see that. You know, I tell you who's underrated here. And if you didn't split up the two categories, like and just did receivers and tight ends together, Vanderbilt should have mm-hmm. been in there. Yeah, yeah, with, with with Pinkney and Limpscum, yeah. with Pinkney and Limpscum, that's that's definitely a candidate. But yeah, with I I just kind of realizing like Arkansas, if CJ O'Grady can like stay on the field, and eh, he's a little bit of a little bit of a wild card. Yeah. Um, but the combination of he and Hudson Henry could be very exciting to watch. I don't know how many two tight end sets Chad Moore, Chad Morris plans to run this year. I mean, whatever but... works. I, I I still think all those freshman receivers. Are, I mean, Trey Knox especially is going to have a big year. Yeah, Trey Knox is uh, is poised for a lot of production in that offense. One would tend to think that the path for playing time is definitely there for him. Right. Um, another one that I thought was a little bit more on the obvious side. What about Georgia for offensive line? Yeah, that that's that's a close. I mean, that might even be. Uh, actually, I don't know. I was I was to say that might even be more distance between them and whoever's number two uh, than like the Bama receiving core. But I don't know. Yeah, Georgia, in my opinion, has the best offensive lineman in the country in Andrew Thomas, mm-hmm. what he's been able to do for the last two years for that group. I mean, the guy is just an absolute monster. And then you've got Solomon Kinley, you've got Isaiah Wilson. Those guys were full-time starters last year. And, right. oh, by the way, you return a couple of guys in Ben Cleveland, Cade Mays, who were part-time starters Kate last Mays year and who are expected to do. Oh, my gosh. He, he demolished people yeah. at points last year. Um, anytime Cole Kubelik has a, a Cade Mays clip, watch it. It's, it's always worth he's it. He's nasty. Um, and, and then I just I, I go back to to what Dylan Moses said about him in SEC Media Days, where he's like the only team that I saw that besides our own, of course, yeah, um, the only team that I was able to watch that like could just push guys off the line of scrimmage like three yards and just impose their will was Georgia, yeah. And that what and that offensive line that he saw last year in the SEC Championship, that group is just back, and that's a scary thought right. considering what they were last year, especially down the stretch. I think they're going to be even better this year. That's a, a group with a lot of potential. Yeah. And they've got, um, they got it rolling down there too with Pittman and, and all those recruits they got coming in too, because that's not going to stop anytime soon, but it, it's yeah, such a cliche gonna to say, but like, that's like, that's where games are won is like in the trenches. And by the way, I'm sorry for being distracted. I've been trying to look up one specific Christian Fulton stat for the past 20 minutes. Was it the stat about him allowing six first downs in coverage all of last year? No, it was the one about like here's like these receivers like when matched up against him in in man coverage like what like how many receptions, how many targets, and how many yards. I don't think it was very many. No, it's not. He, I don't think uh, it was very many. I can't find it anywhere though. Anyway, let's get that back a, to, that, yeah, that, to focusing. That was like a pro football. I think that was a pro football focus stat or something like that. that yeah, gets thrown out. Um, Bama is the honorable mention for offensive line. People are really really. High in the Bama offensive line, I get it. They are every single year, but the reason, like, I don't know. I'm Alex Leatherwood. Don't get me wrong, excited about that, but you know, I always have questions about a unit that loses its probably its two most important guys. Ross Pierce Baker and Jonah Williams are both gone from that unit, and right. we expect it, it's kind of a changing of the guard with that with that Bama, Bama offensive line. But 
still have Jedrick Wills, Deontay Brown, Matt Womack, and you you feel like this group is going to be better maybe in the trenches than that group was down the stretch last year. Yeah, I thought they struggled be, in short yard situations. That, I mean, last year, Jonah Williams was was incredible the entire season. He was, you know, well, he didn't give up a sack or a, the entire season. It was something like that. Yeah, I mean, he was nearly perfect. But yeah. I mean, I, I think that like from a talent standpoint, this is one of the better offensive lines Bama's had in a while, and I hope they get Evan Neal on the field. I, honestly, what they should do, in my opinion, is just put Willis at left guard or left tackle, and then put Leatherwood right next to him and just run off left tackle. Um, you know, if they, if they are going to run the ball, like just go old school, like power uh, when they do run the ball. But what I will say is, I think I hate to say this, Auburn might have a better offensive line than Bama. Really, I don't know about from like an overall talent standpoint, and and that's tough to say. But like, they return all five offensive linemen, and they're all seniors. Think about that. Every time I talk about the Auburn offensive line, I'm just going to go back to that like three minute clip that Cole had when yeah. he came on the pod a month ago, and he just talked extensively about the Auburn offensive line. I was like, ooh, this is like an entire Phil Steele magazine, right? Right. But I mean, it's I think it, it does say a lot, and like I've said this, you know. A lot about how why well, I think that was one of the keys to Florida's success last year in year one of under Mullen is having that continuity on offense, and and they weren't world beaters last year. They weren't great, but I think having all five of them back, and and all five of them being seniors, I think they have like 107 combined starts. Like that's gonna be that's gonna be big. Yeah, I think I think Auburn just in the trenches in general is gonna be oh, noticeably man. different. And I think when they're I think when they're running the ball more and they they kind of have more of an offensive identity, I think that group is is going to be much better. My when we do our crystal ball and it comes out, I'm I'm higher on Auburn than I thought I was going to be. Right. I'll, I'll I'll say that. Speaking of Auburn, defensive line belongs to Auburn. Auburn might have in my opinion Auburn has the best defensive line in the country. That that trio of Derek Brown, Marlon Davidson, Nick Coe, is as good as it gets. I yeah. mean, from a production standpoint, it's you know it's not quite Clemson. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that, but just the the fact that like guys like Brown and Davidson returned, right? Does this have potential to be a, a special type of group that really is the backbone of this team early on when they're trying to figure out who they are with a new quarterback and they're trying to establish that you know we we think that they're going to try and establish the running game more, and maybe a little bit look more low scoring games. Yeah, that defensive line is just crazy talented, crazy experienced as well, and one that I think is going to lead them to, to to more success than they had last year. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with that, and, and I don't think I thought about this the other day, and I forgot who said it. It was on SC Network uh, or it was on Sirius XM, and they they brought up the fact that like, you know. Whoever's going to be playing quarterback for Auburn is going to have to be putting up a lot of points in that, you know, in that offense. And to stay in games, they're going to have to, you know, do this, this, and this. I don't really? know if we're, that's yeah. I, just, I heard it this what? morning. It was on with Aaron Murray and some other guy, and I was like, I don't think we're going to have to see that. I think this is going to be one of those things where I don't think Gus Malzahn's ever ever used this phrase. But if there's any time to have a game manager in that offense, it would be this oh, year yeah. because like that defense is going to be legit. That offensive line is going to be good. Just. Don't make mistakes. Don't turn the ball over. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, honorable mention here. Bama is honorable mention for almost everything. I, I, I don't think that they're on the same level as Auburn on the defensive line just because I'm not as high on Raekwon Davis. We're going to get to that a little yeah. bit later. Uh, LeBron Ray, though, is is, an, is another guy who we expect big things from this year. Um, but it's, it's tough to say to say Bama definitively when you lose somebody as good as Quinn Williams. You know, they, they that's a, another position where you feel like you you lose and then and just reload uh, almost every single year. But that that's a, that's like a gener- not a generational maybe, but that's like a 
One of the better defensive linemen they've had in at least the past decade. Yeah. And that's oh, really saying easily. something. Yeah, it, with Saban's, yeah, we talked about it the other day with Saban's offensive line, or defensive line, rather, the, the talent that he's cranked out of that position on a yearly basis. Yeah, that's that's saying something. I, I don't think that's hyperbole at all. Right. Um, Florida, LSU, and A&M all have great individuals. Um, I think you would look at Richard Lawrence, Jabari Zuniga, uh, Justin Matabuke, these guys who can, I think, can take over games at given yeah. points. Um, but I think from a depth standpoint, you still kind of wonder where they're going to be at. So that's why they didn't necessarily get the nod ahead of Auburn. That's fair. Linebackers. Linebackers, I went with, I almost went with Mississippi State. I told you this off. Yeah. I did not go with Mississippi State. Don't worry. I went with Bama just because Dylan Moses is considered the best linebacker in the SEC coming into this season. Um, and Amfordy Jennings is another all SEC type guy. And I say that without even being 100% sure that. Terrell Lewis is going to be the real deal. Oh my gosh, that is just—it's <laughs> such a bad take. No, I mean I'm just in wait and see. I'm not doubting. I'm not doubting. I'm—I'll—I'll I'm, I'll say this: I have more optimism about Lewis than I do Raquan Davis in 2019. How, how's that? I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like it's a really backhanded compliment, but sure. Um, no, I think kind of is, yeah. I think with like the the linebackers, like what, what's what's gonna what was missing last year, especially late in the season, was. We all thought Mac Wilson was going to be, like, when I say we, I mean Bama fans, all thought Mac Wilson was going to be the next in line to be that dominant middle linebacker in the alpha of that defense. And he just wasn't. He just flat out nope. wasn't. Yeah. And and I don't know, you know, why it didn't really pan out the way everyone thought it would, but they have an alpha now. And and Dylan Moses is that guy that can, like, one, from a leadership standpoint, um, he's fantastic, but also from, like, like, a physical standpoint, he could do anything on the field for you. So... Yeah, him, Amphrey Jennings, who's also been at Bama, I think, since like the late 90s. Uh, Terrell Hall is going to have a monster year. It sucks that Anoma's gone, but I think the linebackers are going to be good. It'll be interesting to see who steps in uh, at the other linebacker position um, to help out with, what do you call it, with, uh, with Moses. Terrell Hall, Terrell Lewis. Can we just formally know as Terrell Hall, Terrell Lewis? Like, which, which one are we going to go with? We gonna I'm going to mix keep... them up all year, just That's fine. every single time. I think Josh McMillan, if Ben Davis can ever get on the field too, that, I think that would be big. But I'd say who's, uh, who's underrated in this category is Kentucky. Kentucky, just, yeah, pencil them in. Mark, uh, Mark Stoops or Dave Aranda, those would be the two guys that I would say, yeah, even if you don't have a bunch of household names, yeah, you've got you know Jacob Phillips, you've got Cash Daniel, guys that – that had that are known in the SEC, but even if you don't have a ton of household names, and they obviously both of those teams just lost super like all generation type yeah. linebackers and Devin White and Josh Allen. But if I was going to bet on two guys to to produce like multiple all SEC guys that we don't necessarily have on our radar right now, it would probably be them. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, with with what's his name, Jamar Watson, and then also with Cash Daniel. And I'd tell you who's going to be also underrated this year is Tennessee with uh with with what they return at the linebacker. Gerald Taylor, yeah. yeah. Gerald Taylor is the leading returner uh, in the SEC in sacks, yep. which is wait crazy what? to consider. Yeah, did not. Oh, yeah, wow. surprisingly, he only had I think eight, eight or eight, eight and yeah. a half sacks last year. Um, but yeah, more more sacks than any returning player in the and SEC. And watch out for Georgia. Last, we'll move on. But like Georgia has so much young talent at both those True. at both those units. So. Um, I the only reason I, I had considered Mississippi State, obviously you know that I love Errol Thompson, yeah. but Willie Gay and Leo Lewis are, are very promising and are due to, I think, have big-time years. I think they're going to have even more opportunities available. The linebacking core is really going to be the heart and soul of that defense, trying to replace Jeffrey Simmons and Montez Sweat. Right. Secondary, it's DBU. It's LSU. Florida fans just hated that sound clip. They absolutely hated that. 
I will say DBU in 2019 belongs to LSU, though, because as we've talked about, Grant Elbert, Christian Fulton, Derek Stingley, that trio right there, if they made the all-SEC team, it wouldn't surprise me. First team all-SEC yeah. would not surprise me. Um, I, I don't disagree with that. I mean, like, I don't think – you, you know what? You just tell me if I'm, if I'm being a homer or not. Am I being a homer by saying that I don't think Bama is that far behind, though, at two? I don't think that far behind. I don't think that. No, I think that's perfectly fair Come because, on. as I've said, I'm I'm high on, on Xavier McKinney. I didn't think Trayvon Diggs was necessarily worthy of the first team All ICC love that he got. Right. But and Patrick Sertan, maybe my judgment of him is a little bit clouded Just because in the Oklahoma how game. much he's yeah how much he struggled in that Oklahoma game. I need to get that out of my mind. Against CD Lamb talented. is one of the best receivers in the country, and we were up by 28 yes. points. But go on. CD Lamb like ate his breakfast, man. That was. Uh, he, he, he stole the show from him that day. He but, stole yeah, the show I, from him that day. He stole the show from him that day in the, in the semifinal playoff game that we won, and we're up by 28 points in the first quarter. Fair enough. Go back and look, though. It, it wasn't pretty. Um, but I, I, I'm not going to pour dirt on, on Patrick's return. Yeah. I'm definitely not going to do that. I'd say that Bama's in consideration, and then Florida and Georgia are the two other ones that come to mind, of course. Yeah. Uh, C.J. Henderson, probably the best lockdown corner in the SEC. And then I had somebody tweet uh, tweet this at me today. Do not forget about the return of Marco Wilson, who went down last year in September for Florida. Okay. Going to be doing big things in that secondary, we expect. And then Georgia, the names are, are, are pretty obvious. J.R. Reed, Richard LeCount. Um, you talked about it the other day. You, you are higher on Richard LeCount than you are on J.R. Reed, yeah. the senior. Yeah, which is not a, a knock on J.R. Reed. I just think Richard LeCount's going to be a stud in that defense. Um, yeah. No, I, I think I think those three or those four at the top make the most sense. I, I didn't put anybody else after that. I think it's it's pretty pretty clear. All right, let's move on to Sports Illustrated's top 100 players because this is something that came out a couple weeks ago, but we've kicked around the idea of talking about this for for a bit now. And there's nothing that that we love more than picking apart other people's rankings. It's usually just my right. rankings that we end up picking apart. That's fair. So it's kind of fun to, to, to you know poke at somebody else. But there were some questionable calls on this. Questionable. I told you before that we were going to talk about Raekwon Davis a little bit later in the show. Yeah. Now is that time. Because Raekwon Davis, they had at number 10 among all players in college football. Now keep in mind... This is a 2019 article. This is heading into 2019. This isn't heading into 2018 where we had him in SDS as the number one player in the SEC. No, no, no. This is after he had a horrible year, had one and a half sacks, five and a half tackles for loss in 14 games playing alongside Quinn Williams. And Sports Illustrated thinks that he is a top 10 player in the country. He's not, I don't think he's a top 10 player in the SEC. Yeah, I mean, that's that seems like a... I, when, you, when I first read that, I thought it was a little bit extreme, but... Um... Maybe you're right, because because I, I was still going off the 2017 season, which we've said before. I don't understand how his numbers would have gone down when you're playing right next to Quentin Williams. Like the, all so those double teams. There was some number that was like I think it was QB pressures or something like that, and it was like 48 or something crazy, like some crazy number. But there was I think in like either the LSU game or a game late in the year. He he basically uh, he got a QB pressure on almost half the snaps that he played. Like it was, it was just ridiculous. So how are you not like producing at all next to that guy? Oh, you're talking about Quentin Williams. Yeah, yeah, that. not no, yeah, yeah, yeah. not okay, not Raekwon okay. Davis. Yeah, I was gonna say the the numbers 
favor Justin Matabuke, who didn't even make the list. He right. didn't even make the top 100. He put up way better numbers last year. Not not just the your basic sacks, tackles for loss, right. but if you look at the pro football focus stuff with QB pressures, run stop percentage, all those different things. Justin Matabuke did not getting on this list is is an absolute snub. I did I did not like to see that. I think he's going to get moved around a lot on Mike Elko's line, but probably going to be playing on the interior. That was one yeah. of the biggest problems that I had. I just like this whole thing about Raekwon Davis getting all this like just consensus love, just as this guy who returns for his senior year after a really disappointing junior year. I mean, let's let's call it what it is. If the guy was hurt or something like that, then all right, you probably shouldn't be playing because it's Bama. You have you have guys that it can was. step in and do work alongside Quinn and Williams. I have to believe that, right? No, that was one of the worst defensive lines and and, and rush defenses they've they've had under Saban in like the last decade. Just strange to see that, but um, I will say his teammate Xavier McKinney. Only at yeah. number eighty six, nah, 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 nah. That, that that's not gonna work for me. I, I I made the comparison. He's not quite Grant Delpit, but the variety of things that that guy was able to do. I right. know he had his moments last year against Clemson. Of course, everybody had their moments on that defense against Clemson. But he he's somebody who I think could be earning first team All America honors at season's end. Kind of surprised me that he was that far down the totem pole when I, I think he's the best player in that secondary. Yeah, I think it's fair. Um, I don't know if he's the absolute best player because there's a lot of talent in that in that secondary. But he fills up a stat sheet, man. He he can do a lot. He could he can do a lot for for a team. But I I was kind of surprised about that being that about him being that low. There was some other. I mean, Kellen Mond at 84, which I, I was kind of surprised he made the top 100. Um, to be honest. Yeah, I mean. I think just from a from a true dual threat standpoint and what you expect from him after another year in Jimbo's system, I, I, I'm okay with putting him in there. He was in the back end of my uh, top 25 players in the SEC, so, right. and I'm, I'm higher on him. I think he's the third best quarterback in the SEC coming into this year. Um, but there, there were some on here that, like, from, from a skill position standpoint, your boy... Lynn Bowden, that is no love. That is ridiculous. Not, not even an honorable mention, man. That's, what does the guy got to do? I mean, when you look at what what that offense was built around, it was built around Benny Snell, and it was not like our favorite neighbor, Uncle Terry Wilson, was was lighting up the stat sheet <laughs> like, you know, through the air. But I mean, yeah, him not being on there is a, is a, a, like a travesty. Um, I know we want to keep it main mainly in the SEC, but like, how about like Derek? Is it Derek King? Derek King? Derek, Derek King, the Houston quarterback. Sure. Yeah. Okay. I have, you know, I don't understand apostrophes. But him at 68, that is ridiculously low. Yeah. I, I think he's, I mean, I think a lot of people would consider him a top 10 quarterback in the country. Yeah. People forget he was the reason that Kyle Trask did not start as a high school quarterback. People don't forget that. No, no just, nobody like, forgets that. that. That's just there. you. Um, yeah. No, but I was I was surprised about that. I, I tell you, I think, the like, I appreciate you sticking up for McKinney since you've hated on. Uh, pretty much the rest of the entire Bama defense. <laughs> but, you know, the biggest travesty of all this is Christian Fulton at 47. My man needs to be higher. That is, he is, he's he like, is a, like a projected first-round pick like on almost every single mock draft for next year. And you know they're always right when they do it in August and July the year before. But, I mean— <laughs> I would have been okay with them switching Raekwon Davis and Christian Fulton. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but I, I, that's why I was trying to find that stupid stat that I was telling you about. Because oh, yeah, like, yeah. it's something ridiculous, like, you know, against— Jerry Judy and against I don't know um, any of the guys from like Ole Miss and stuff like that like these like premier players he you know for the most part shut him down like I I think he's gonna have a a really big year and and you know we we got you know we caught a lot of crap last year because we didn't put Greedy Williams in our end of the year top twenty five I think 
because of like the kind of talent that that LSU already has in that secondary, they're not going to skip it. They're not going to miss a beat going into the season. Gonna be better. Yeah, they're going to be better. That's crazy to think. Yeah. But yeah, um, speaking of LSU, no Justin Jefferson on this list. He's somebody that needs to be getting talked about a lot more in, in that offense. I, I just think that he's going to have a lot of potential. Joe, Joe Burrow's go-to guy makes catches all over the field. Yeah. That guy is just fun to watch. And he was somebody that I didn't appreciate enough during the season, but kind of going back and looking at some of the stuff he did, he has a lot of potential. Um, four of the top six came from the SEC on this list. Tua was at number two behind Trevor Lawrence at number one. Well, why, why are we skipping uh, like from 50 to 10? Well, I mean, we, is, is there anything that you wanted to hit on? I want to go through every single one of them. Here's, here's, let's start at fifty. Um, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> so I, I just, I was surprised by this, and it, there was, there was no group, uh, I guess, like of, of like the rankings that was more surprising to me than forty-one. They have Sam Ellinger from Texas, the quarterback, at forty-one, and then a trio of SEC players right ahead of him at thirty-nine with Jalen Waddle, Jabari Zuniga at thirty-eight, and DeAndre Swift at thirty-seven. I think that's kind of low for Swift, to be honest. Yeah, I thought he'd be a little higher than that. But I am, I was surprised that they had they had all three of them ahead of somebody like Sam Ellinger. Um, you know, Keyshawn Vaughn at twenty nine. I I think I like that. I like. Yeah, that. I hope he has a big year too because it's it's he's gonna he's gonna have to carry that entire offense. But did I already did, did I um, say on the podcast what my bet with Adam Spencer is? No, about, about sneak. So. Um, Adam Spencer, who is totally unbiased whenever he provides anything related to Mizzou, um, he he called me out for not having Larry Roundtree right. on his on his list of best running backs in the country, top twenty five running backs. We well, did have twelve hundred um, yards rushing last year, Connor. He did, and I, I admitted that I made a mistake on that. I admitted, but his 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 comeback was was something to the extent of like he's better than Keyshawn Vaughn because I came back at him because oh, God. I think he said I think he said that Keyshawn Vaughn was the seventh best running back in the SEC, which is just what again Guys. opinions can be wrong. That's just wrong. Um, and so our bet was I I, I made the bet that uh, Keyshawn Vaughn will have more yards from scrimmage this year than Larry Roundtree, and my, the bet is if I win, Keyshawn Vaughn has more yards. Then Adam has to buy a Cub shirt and wear it for a day. Adam is a diehard St. Louis Cardinals. This is fan, electric which is stuff here. Gross. Yeah. And then if I and then if he wins, I have to buy a Cardinals shirt, wear it for a day, and then I'll send it to him. Yeah. We we, we raised the stakes here at SDS. I'm way that's more concerned about um, how bad both of those takes were, but that's neither here nor there. Wait. What's 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 bad about 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 saying well about Keyshawn the round Vaughn's two thing not making the top twenty five running backs? Oh yeah, yeah. Then, I messed up. I beefed up. Yeah, Keyshawn Vaughn being the seventh best running back. That's that doesn't make that's that's Eesh. just wrong. Uh, Jake Fromm, twenty third. Mm, I could I could understand that. Okay. Do you think he should be higher? I, I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's a weird. I just I was saying it to get a reaction to you, and hopefully you said something <laughs> stupid, and then I can just I come over the top. Um, you just stood pat. That's fine. But uh, I will say, Andrew Thomas being at, at 17 seems a bit low since he is the best offensive tackle of the country. Top 10. You should be a top yeah. 10 dude. No doubt about it. Um, yeah, one – I thought there was one other thing that I wanted to bring up. Oh, yeah, how about this? How about Monty Rice coming in at number 66? Monty Rice, the Georgia linebacker who only played – what did he play, like half a season last year? He missed five year? games. And he's yeah. and he, he still had, like I think, 59 total tackles. Like I, I mean, maybe – Maybe that's just a really good good pick, and we just missed it. Maybe it's yeah. Maybe that's a sleeper. Maybe that's somebody that we haven't been talked about enough. But when I saw that, I was like, oh, really? Right. Okay. Um, and for them to not have Justin Matabuke on there, interesting, interesting. Yeah. Different positions, I realize. But okay, let's we'll, instead of criticizing somebody else's rankings, let's do our other favorite thing that is criticize Alabama's schedule. 
Um, oh, no, man. we're actually going to praise we're going to praise Bama's schedule today because the other day we talked about this briefly. Talked about it a little bit in fourth and wrong and how I'd want to bring you to the Midwest to be able to go and see Bama, Wisconsin, twenty twenty four Camp Randall. It's going down. We got into this 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 talk a little bit off air about this change in philosophy that's happened over the course of time with Bama and its scheduling. No, Connor was and, being a jerk and making fun of Bama for not ever going up north <laughs> to play in the Big Ten and it being scary. Um, that well, That's how I took it, to be honest. 13 years. 13 years. So 2011, Bama went up to Penn State and played in Happy Valley, and it'll be a 13-year stretch in which Bama has not gone north of the Mason-Dixon line to play a non-conference home-and-home. They so, played... Non, non-stop neutral site games, which everybody knows about, that's been talked about, but this will be the first trip north of the Mason-Dixon line for that 13-year stretch. Right, so they used to play Penn State almost every single year in like the in the 80s, and, and like that was a long-standing rivalry. Um, what I don't understand here is this obsession with the Mason-Dixon line, because when you talk about it, like you're like, yes, yeah, it's, it's going to be 13 years since they went to Penn State, and what, what I'm going to I'm going to defend Bama here, and I'm not trying to be a homer, but People aren't lining up to play Bama, and it, I think they kind of got, got caught in this whole, you know, like, they're on the back end of, like you said, they still have two more years of, of these neutral site games against what, well, not Duke, but like Miami and, USC and USC, and like, where yeah. you're trying to schedule like premier opponents, and that that whole idea of, of those games... Keep, keep in mind, like a year ago, everyone loved it. It was it was the best idea. It's, it's these neutral right. site games. You know, it's it's a it's a destination for like you know to travel if you're a fan. Um, if if you're a coach, the, the main reason Saban started doing this in Atlanta and then and then Dallas is it's a recruiting hotbed and it's it's perfect for national exposure and you're, you're getting in prime time and like in front of a national audience. And for the most part, they're beating the crap out of these guys or these these other teams. I, I don't understand at what point Big Ten teams and fans got so confident about how tough it is to play north of the Mason-Dixon line. No, here's here's the thing. So the it's the 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 like the I'm going to defend Bama and then I'm also going to criticize not just Bama but the SEC as a whole because cool. I'll I'll defend Bama by saying nobody else in the SEC during this period from 2012 to 2020 was playing these non-conference home-and-homes above the Mason-Dixon line. These SEC contenders weren't doing it. There were essentially three games in the SEC that were, you know, the, the, of that variety. And, you know, I wouldn't even consider, I wouldn't consider Auburn-Kansas State one of those games. I wouldn't necessarily consider... What about Mississippi State-Kansas no, State? Mississippi State-Kansas State, I mean... I, 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 I wouldn't consider I wasn't considering Mississippi State as like a, a yearly contender. I guess last year I considered them a contender. If you want to count that, that's totally fine. But you know, you're talking about LSU going up to Syracuse in 2016 right. or 2015. That was 2015. And then you know, obviously the big showdown that we that we saw a couple of years ago where Georgia goes up to Notre Dame. And that was what, as you said before, it was like yes, Georgia's it, first trip that's above the Mason Dixon since '65. Everything's just everything gets so like. It, everything's I feel like under a microscope and 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 judged a lot like more harshly for Bama and right, and this right. is not me trying to be defensive about being a Bama fan I'm just I think that's exactly what it is because and and you know case in point I when this they said there was they were going to announce I think Cecil Hurt had the tweet about you know expect a, a home and home series against a power five school to be announced today 
And all the comments, like all the comments, like when twenty fifty six, great. Were they gonna go play Wake Forest? Blah, blah. It's like, like use an example that's real. Like they're not going to, to schedule Wake Forest. Like they're not doing those things. And 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 not in a rude way to Georgia because Georgia's been really good about these games. Like over the past 15, 20 years, when you're talking about going out to Colorado, going out to Arizona State, going out to Oklahoma State, and and Tennessee's also been been historically pretty good at doing things like that. But Georgia didn't go north the Mason Dixon line except for once since 1965 so like i i don't get the big deal like i'm gonna say this and this is gonna be the homer side of me we don't need to travel north of the mason dixon line to go prove how good our brand of football is to an inferior conference and inferior teams the last time bama played wisconsin i i I think it was the first quarter they're like all conference safety got like he tried to tackle derrick henry and then got up and went to the wrong huddle like it, it's not like I understand Wisconsin beat LSU in that game at Lambeau Field, but I'm so tired of like the Big Ten fans, especially Ohio State fans, having this like you know holier than now attitude about how if you want to play, you got to come play in November in the cold, not when it's 65 degrees out. Like get the blank out of here. Okay, so here's here's the thing. Um, I, I agree with with pretty much everything you said, and I think that it, Bama takes the the brunt of this because Bama is the face of the SEC. Let's call it what it is. I think that Bama has not had to 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 show no. to the world that this is this is how we operate. Um, the the two tough looks are one they had the schedule they had the home and home set up with Michigan State that they canceled and ultimately scheduled the neutral site game instead. It made more business sense as Saban also beat them thirty eight to nothing in the playoff. Right, right. I mean, that, like nobody's denied that Alabama was inferior to Michigan State. Not not the case whatsoever. But Bama canceled that series, which was supposed to be in 2016 and 2017. So that's a little bit of a tough look. The other thing that I keep coming back to that is that is hard to, to kind of like wrap your head around. In what other sport can you be considered the best team, this powerhouse juggernaut, unbelievable dynasty, and avoid an entire half of the country for a decade? It's it's bizarre that, that it's like not maybe, I mean, it's talked about, but not necessarily talked about to the extent that I, I think that a lot of people really can really grasp, and I think as college football fans, we've come to just let this this go because the sport is very regionalized. But at the same time, it's like you are talking because I, I think Bama could beat anybody, anytime, any day. I'm not I'm not questioning that at all. But like that's the thing. Okay, if you have those things and you have that belief, then why why is it taking so long for Bama to just say, you know what, like we we can play anybody at any time and any day and you know what if that's something that people are saying about us then let's let's finally put an end to this I don't because think that's they've the won five national this. championships in the past 10 years we don't have I to know. go up there and prove ourselves right. to these teams and the thing is like i you're not wrong that you're saying like and it, it it is more exciting for these these big games in the home and home especially I'm, I'm that 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 thing turned on a dime this offseason of when oh it's when georgia especially started like you know scheduling all these yep. home and homes and i can't wait to see lsu at texas and all that kind of stuff but i tell you what if you're if you're talking about how difficult it is to navigate through a, a schedule especially in the sec for like i'm not saying for bama because the like they have a terrible schedule this year but just in general like how difficult it is to go undefeated which is let's let's just be clear like that it, this is not the nfl like you can't go nine and seven and squeeze like you know sneak into the, the wild card spot and, and make the playoffs like you right. need to be undefeated. So why are you trying to put your your team at risk and any kind of chance of winning a national championship by going to an early season game if you don't have to? Because I yeah. guarantee what's happening. Like you look at the the brand names of these of these teams because this what it immediately turned into was was Big Ten fans saying like it's different than going you know sixty sixty five degrees in September is different different than uh, playing us up here in November. Like first off, what 
what is your schedule in November that you're just going to have a marquee matchup in between Rivalry Week and then like the yeah, November? You know, like, there's no there's no freaking way that I'm going to have like LSU on the road, Mississippi State at home, at Ohio State, and then close with Auburn. Like that's ridiculous. But what my frustration with it, with with that reaction to is, you talk about the brand names from across the country. It just start with the Big Ten. They haven't played Ohio State. They played Penn State, at, like. In a, in a home and home like within the past decade, they played Michigan in Dallas when Michigan was a top ten team and beat them forty one to fourteen. They've scheduled teams like Virginia Tech when they were in the top ten. They've scheduled Clemson when they were in the top ten. They scheduled USC, Miami. All these all these games are, are are coming soon. Like it's not like it it's not Bama's fault that USC sucks right now, and it's like I mean, they won that game like fifty two to six. No, and I think that's a different discussion. I think that's 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 totally. I, I, I'm not. Yeah, and I'm not gonna sit here and say like Bama has has just had nonstop cupcakes. I mean, these neutral site games, like they've had, they've played actual teams. Right. I'm, I'm not denying that. I just think that it's like it is interesting as you look at the why this is changing. And we've talked about this before, and how I think that with the reason that this this philosophy has changed, and now where Bama is not is saying this is no longer good enough to just play USC and Dallas every single right. year. And the reason why why I think they're doing it is because. The expectation that these teams have is that the playoff is going to expand. The playoff is going to expand sometime in the mid to early to mid 2020s when this contract is up and they they have to they have to they have to change their scheduling philosophy just as they did at the start of the decade right. when Bama started loading up on these neutral neutral site games and now the belief is if you go to eight teams and you expand the playoff there is a little bit more margin for error. You can lose. You can afford to lose a non-conference game, and then if you you know get left out of the conference championship or something like that, then there's still a way to kind of back in. But there's a different philosophy, and that's why I think we've seen this change so much with athletic directors. They're trying to get ahead of the curve, and they're trying to say, hey, look, we want to put ourselves in the best possible position to make the eight-team field, and we don't want to still be stuck in the scheduling philosophy that was from a, a different system. The anticipation is it's going to change. I think Bama has, has been ahead of the curve, and realizing we need to load up on these games as much as possible. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, and, and I'm, I'll be the first to admit, they, they haven't been you know, one of the best programs in terms of consistently trying to go out and challenge themselves and, and find these marquee matchups. Oklahoma is, a, is great at it. Uh, Ohio State does a good job of it, to be honest. You know, going to TCU and the, a lot of games against Virginia yep. Tech, stuff like that. Like I said, Georgia, um, Tennessee. I, I just, what, what bothers me about the whole mindset of it is like, if... It almost reminds me a little bit of like the Mayweather Pacquiao thing where like all the fans like I I, I was a big Pacquiao fan. It was like, like, fight him, you coward, fight him. Like, like, I think Pacquiao would win and everybody wanted to see it. And why would he tarnish this reputation? Like, why would Mayweather tarnish this reputation? Because he has he doesn't have anywhere close as much to gain from it. And so I think it's exactly and it's one of those yeah. things, too. When you talk about like these home and home series, like, you know what, if, if, the, if it's really for like the fans and the benefit of the fans, because that, you know, the week 13 sucks. Like playing, playing, losing a Lafayette and and stuff like that in week two, that sucks. But what bothers me is when you have when you have these things like, well, you, it needs to be better for the fans and like attendance is down. Well, then make sure if if it's for the fans, y'all are all traveling and attendance isn't down, and you're gonna show up to these these games and right. and like it's just I don't know. I feel like it was good. Ray Serino we- right now. We needed a little bit of disagreement after. I feel like we were agreeing too much in the start. We were just agreeing about everything. <laughs> uh, no, I, it's an interesting topic though, and I think it's something that we're gonna we're gonna definitely revisit. Um, let's change gears a little bit. Our our one of our new favorite guests, I think, and I, I say new just because this was the first time we had him on, 
And I, I think hearing Tony Barnhart, you're like, gosh, what? You guys are idiots for not having this guy on like once a month right. to just come in here and like tell you stories of old man. Like th- this stuff, even for somebody like myself who didn't grow up in the SEC, like this was just awesome to listen to. And I, I've loved getting to know Tony the last year. So let us kick into our interview with Tony Barnhart. We're now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is Tony Barnhart, a.k.a. Mr. CFB on Twitter. Tony, I always ask this when we bring on a guest who just has this perfect Twitter handle. Um, <laughs> was Mr. CFB available when you first joined Twitter, or did you have to work a little magic to acquire that? Uh, no, fortunately, it was available. You know, when uh, one of my relatives came to me many, many moons ago and said, hey, you need, you need to be on Twitter, I said, great. Uh, what's Twitter? And they explained it to me. And yeah, you you get you get you get this handle, and you say stuff in 140 characters. And I said, well, you know me, I I can't even clear my throat in 140 characters. But yeah, we'll give it we'll give, we'll give it a shot. But no, we did uh, we put uh, Mr. CFB out there, and uh, son of a gun, we had it. I love it. It's so perfect for you because I think for so many who have grown up in this area, they, that's what they know you as. And I think, you know, that that's one of the reasons that you do stuff like, you know, you're you're today we're, we're recording this on a Tuesday. And what you're doing later today is uh, you're, you're guest hosting for for Paul Feinbaum, our good buddy. And, um, you know, I've always wondered about this, just filling in for Paul, for those of us who have not had the privilege of doing exactly that. Can you explain what that whole process is like? Well, it's uh, today is a little little different in that there's a, uh, it'll be radio only, okay. Uh, and I think it's a couple of weeks where the S- the ESPN does a takeover and it's radio only for Fine Bomb the show, other stuff. So today it's it's radio only. When it's radio only, it's it's a little less complicated. But basically, what I do, and and I sub for Paul, I don't know five or six times a year, something like that. And I've got a producer who does it. I just sent him, a, I sent him a bunch of ideas yesterday of some topics that we can talk about. Uh, you know, things now that practice, practice is getting ready to start on the weekend. Something, and so I, and then he puts it all together. He goes out and books guests. Uh, and by one o'clock Eastern time, I'll have a uh, first draft of the rundown of the show and start plugging in things for me and. Uh, I'm doing the show from a studio here in Atlanta, 680 The Fan, and we'll get there, oh, I don't know, about 2 o'clock or so and make sure we're all hooked up. And 3 o'clock we roll, and then it's four hours of uh, fun and mayhem after that. <laughs> is there Speaking of that, is there is there a favorite interaction that you've had with a fine bomb show caller? Uh, you know, some of the cast of characters don't call when I'm there, but some of them are nice. Uh, Millie is very, very nice. She is just absolutely precious, uh, and it, it has always been a lot of fun. But one of the neat things that happened to me was about a year ago, uh, this couple from my hometown, I grew up in a little town in Georgia, they called just to say hello oh, wow. and to say how proud they were or how proud they were of me. I, I, I grew up in a little town called Union Point in Georgia, about 1,500 people, still 1,500 people, and uh, – this couple, it was Jill and Lania Rhodes, and they they called just to say how proud they were of me, and I thought that was kind of cool. That's that's awesome. I mean, I, I think that 
you know, I think what we'll do is we'll get our, our all of our listeners. If you are going to call in, if you usually call into Fine Bomb to just yell, when Tony hosts, let's make sure that all of our listeners call in and just give him compliments. It doesn't even have to have a, you don't even have to have a question. We'll just make sure that they do that. So we'll send the bat signal out. Um, has doing this show though, like the five or six times a year that you get to do it, has it has it made your appreciation for Paul grow even more oh. when you see what he has to deal with for twenty hours a week? The first time that I did it, uh, first of all, it's four hours. Four hours of a, of anything is a long time, but four hours of television, and it's really a simulcast. It's radio right. and television, okay? And the breaks for radio and television don't exactly match up. So there's some field time, and the producer's having to walk you through it, and you spend a lot of time on logistics and and oh. timing and all that kind of stuff. The first time I did it, all four hours for Paul, I wrote him a text that night. I said, look, I have always respected your work in this regard. Now that I've done it <laughs> and survived it, uh, oh, it, it, it's unlike anything I've ever done. And, and four hours is just a long time to talk. My wife will tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> Tony, as someone someone who's grown up in the Southeast, watching Culture Club every Saturday, and uh, you know, I've watched you every Saturday on CBS, and which sounds weirder than it is. Um, so, you know, what's the what has changed the most in college football in your eyes in the last twenty to twenty five years? Social. Well, the two two different things. If you. Uh, we, if we're talking about the game itself, or we're talking about the the game, how it fits into the broader culture, on, on the latter, I would say social media changed okay. everything. I mean, because the the interactions that people would have with players, with media, and all that were basically confined to what they read in, in newspapers or heard on the radio or talk shows like Paul, right? Uh, when he had, when he was based in Birmingham. Now, I tell people, I said, the greatest thing about social media is that everybody gets a voice. The worst thing about social media <laughs> is that everybody gets a voice. Spot on. And Amen. that's true. And it's just, it's just, it's just the way it is. And it's, it, it's, it, we're in a totally different time. And well, particularly in the South. Uh, in one of my early books, I said, the late Frank Burles told me, he said, they said, Tony, what you got to understand about football fans in the South, they do not go to the games to observe. They go to participate. That's, they, yeah. they believe they should be participating in the games. And that's uh, the, the level of participation is now higher than it's ever been. That's a good point. <laughs> so, so at uh, at SEC Media Days a couple weeks ago, we got to see. We've talked about this a little bit on the podcast, but we got to see a screening of a new documentary series that's coming out this fall called Saturdays in the South. You provided us with the best laugh out loud moment of the portion that we were able to see at the screening. Could you tell our our listeners the story about the Florida Georgia game that resulted in you causing a little bit of damage to a certain Tallahassee hotel room? Uh, well, this is 1980. And everybody remembers the great <laughs> Lindsey Scott game, Florida, Florida and Georgia playing in Jacksonville. I was working in Greensboro, North Carolina. It was still er very early in my career. I was working in Greensboro, North Carolina. And my assignment, my beat 
with this, all the small colleges that play uh, football in the state of North Carolina. There is a school in uh, Greensboro, North Carolina, North Carolina A&T, proud member of the, of the MEAC, of the Mideast Athletic Conference, and I would cover them a bunch. They were playing at Florida A&M in Tallahassee. So that's why, I, that's why I was in Tallahassee to begin with. Georgia and Florida are playing on on television. I'm watching it from a hotel and a condo lodge. Nice. Uh, in Tallahassee. Yeah, real nice. Your <laughs> uh, condo lodge. Ha- hey, he was happy to get yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm watching it. And there was now, Jacksonville's about two hours, a little bit more down uh, Interstate uh, 10. And I, for a mo- brief moment, I thought about driving there watching the game and driving back. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. So I sat, I just sat hunkered down in my room in the O'Connell Lodge, my palatial uh, room there, <laughs> and watched it. And because it's not like it is now, I didn't cover the Southeastern Conference then. I could, uh, when Georgia played, and I'm, co- I'm not even covering big colleges, I'm covering small colleges. So I felt like I could wear my uh, alumni stripes on my sleeve when Georgia played. Plus, I was much younger then. And so we get to the end of the game. Looks like Georgia's going to lose. And, of course, everybody remembers the play to Lindsey Scott, and they win the um, game. Well, I get excited, and I jump in, up in the air, and there's just one of these hanging uh, lamps that sort of hang over the middle of the seating area in the room. And my hand just – I'm lucky I didn't cut my hand. My hand just went right through it, absolutely destroyed the lamp and I said oh man what am I going to do and all that and, uh, so the next morning I, I go to check out and I said uh, you the manager yes I'm the manager well I apologize and here's what happened and I was uh, I was pulling for Georgia to uh, uh, beat Florida and all that kind of stuff and and, fi- and I said I'm, I'm certainly tell me how much it is and I will certainly write you a check and pay for it he said no wait a minute are you telling me that you broke a lamp because you were cheering for Georgia to beat Florida? I said, well, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I actually was. He said, well, I'm a Florida state guy and you don't know me. I think that is. So <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I love, Man, that is, that, I love that story. Tony. Uh, That's... <laughs> I, uh, it's, 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 it's one of my favorites. And it's, yeah. I, I, the other thing I did is I called home because I, I tried to get my mom, to put the telephone near the radio so I could hear Larry right. Munson's call uh, of of that play. Here, here's a little known little known fact: Al Michaels called that game for for ABC. Oh, and people forget that Al, Al I think it was Al Michaels and Frank Rolls. Wow, who called that game for ABC? Legend. And so, yeah. Interesting. So that kind of leads into my, my next question. So I, Tony, I grew up in Stone Mountain, Georgia, and and I'm not. I didn't grow up as a Georgia fan, but I grew up listening to Larry Munson on Saturdays. And and there was times where we we would. I don't know why we did this because we had a radio in the house, but we would extend drives around like 285 on fall Saturdays in my dad's Geo Prison, so we could oh, hear yeah. Larry Munson. And and Connor, I don't know if you know this, but the, the funny part about what what happened here, or I, what I think is funny about what happened to Tony is. Is I think that was the game where he said there's going to be some property damage tonight, right? Yeah. Well, the, he, what he said he destroyed. Now, I did. A, I did a book with Larry. I did. I did a book with Larry, and during the course of that book, we talked about all these calls, and he said what he remembered 
uh, about it is that when Lindsey Scott scored the touchdown, he remembered something that Ben Scully always says, is when you've got a moment like that, shut up. Right. Don't say anything. Let the let the crowd tell you what's going on. And if you go back and listen to it, that's what Munson did. Wow. He calls it yep. down, screams Lindsey Scott, Lindsey Scott, Lindsey Scott, and then he went quiet for about twenty seconds. And the next voice you hear is not his, but Phil Schaefer, his uh, analyst, who comes in and says, "Well, if you wanted a miracle, you just got one." Okay. And then that's when Munson comes back and he says, do you realize what's going to happen? This thing? <laughs> that's so and good. And for all those people down at St. Saint, Simons Saint and Jekyll Island and all these places where these dog people have got these condominiums for four days, man, is there going to be some property destroyed, destroyed, destroyed tonight? tonight. I got goosebumps just hearing <laughs> you so redo perfect. it. So, so my my question my question is and and this you've privy to a lot of these things, especially if if you you know grew up around it, obviously, and and you know covered it and and got to write this book with with uh, Larry Munson. He's got so many great calls, and I, I remember hearing again, not growing up a Georgia fan, I remember hearing all the all the great calls about you know I broke in my chair, and then obviously it's the sugar falling from the sky. My personal mm-hmm. favorite was the hobnail boot. What is your favorite? Oh. Favorite Larry Munson audio of all time. When Larry and I were doing the book, we we went. Uh, he and I listened to every big big call over the years. And he ultimately decided, as big as the Lindsey Scott play was, and as much as it meant. I mean, it's, you can argue that it's the single biggest play in the history of Georgia football right. because it put them at number one and won the national championship. His favorite, however, became the hobnail boot because when he said it uh, and he said, you know, we stepped on their face with a hobnail boot and broke their nose. We just crushed their face. When he did that, he said, I had no idea what the hell a hobnail boot boot was. He said it just came out. I had no no, no idea what, what it was. And the next day, Furman Bisher, the legendary yeah. columnist of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, called Larry and goes, Larry, do you even know what the hell a hobnail boot is? No idea. I said, well, and Bisher explained it to him. It, it was, it's a boot that they used to climb pine trees and telephone poles that had little uh, r- metal ridges in it so you could get a, as the great Louis Gard, Gard, Grizzard would say, so he could get a toehold in that thing oh, and man. climb it up. So, so, so for Larry, when we when we did that, we spent the better part of three days listening to every big uh, highlight he had ever done. And he just he decided his ranking. He decided hobnail boot was number one. Wow, I love it. That's awesome. That's so awesome. Um, okay, so. Last year, Tony, you were a huge help when I wrote about uh, Herschel for the the Goat Week piece that I did for SDS. As someone who wasn't born when Herschel took the college football world by storm, I'm super jealous that that you got to witness so much of his greatness. Is there a favorite Herschel story that you have? Well, one of the things uh, I heard this from Buck Ballou, who was the quarterback, on that national championship team. You know, he, he, he doesn't start his first game against Tennessee, at Tennessee. This is the opening game of the year. 
They fall behind 15 to nothing. They get a safety of 15 to two, but nothing's working. Georgia can't get anything going. Uh, and at halftime, uh, a guy by the name of Mike Cabin, who was a running backs coach, played for Vince Dooley at Georgia, who basically did a lot of the recruiting on Herschel Walker, told Vince Dooley, Coach, we got to put this guy in the game. We just got to do it. Because he had not looked at all. He impressed nobody at practice. And they were worried that he was this big, stiff fullback. So they put him in the game. He runs over Bill Bates, and the rest is history. The following week is where the story is. The following week, they play Texas A&M at Athens. And somewhere along the way, he breaks off the first long yeah. run as a member of the Georgia as a member of the Georgia football team. And Buck Ballou said, I got back to the sidelines and the players are all looking at each other going, Oh my word, what have we got here? And then from from then on it was legendary. That that is uh that's one of my uh favorite stories. And you know, that and certainly what he did in the sugar bowl when he dislocated his shoulder and and just went back in the game. Went back in the game, didn't tell anybody. The doctors told Vince Dooley he was done. They popped it back in, and uh, he went back out there and ran for 150 yards against Notre Dame and two touchdowns. Tony, I stubbed my toe this morning going going to get coffee, and I almost had to cancel the interview. Like that doesn't make that doesn't make any sense. It's I, so I, I grew up I grew up in a house where and those old games are the best. Connor, we've we've had this discussion before. But for me, it's the it's the Herschel versus George Rogers game in Athens where he outran that's like, you know five different dudes had had the angle on him and he just outruns everybody and but so I grew up in a house hearing that the 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 argument between Herschel and Bo wasn't the argument the argument was that Marcus Dupree was better than both and I I don't know if that's blasphemy I don't know if that's true or not um but but who's somebody that you've covered in, in, in all these years covering college football that, that you still kind of wonder about from all the hype they had coming out of high school that maybe didn't pan out to the level that Bo and Herschel did? Mm, I don't know if I can think of anybody that didn't pan out. If you gave me some names, maybe that would happen. But I will, I will say this. I was having this conversation uh, with a friend of mine, and they were about to pick the all-time great running backs and I said, well, you do understand when you come south, it's Herschel and Bo, and then there's everybody else. Yeah. I mean, you can talk about Darren McFadden. You can talk about Darren McFadden, who was a great player. Mm-hmm. I mean, just a great player. You can talk about all these guys, but Herschel, Herschel and Bo stand apart. And then, you know, and then of course you want to you want to have a, a street brawl, start arguing Herschel or Bo, uh, which right. you got to <laughs> choose, and that 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 can get that can get kind of ugly. Uh, so along those lines, this this is a obviously extremely hypothetical, but do you think there can ever be anything quite like Herschel was? I mean, do you think there can ever be a player that just takes the college football world by storm in the way that he did? And we've talked about this too, in the way that technology would have changed his rise and how different we would have dissected Herschel mm-hmm. in the social media age. Can there ever be a player that really just kind of takes our breath away as college football fans, or have we sort of seen it all at this point? Well, there, there certainly can be because because there are great players that come along, and you you I mean you, you know when <laughs> I'm sure in the, in the NBA when uh, every time a great player comes along, well this this guy's better than that guy. So yeah, could it happen? Yeah, but I think it's interesting that we are you know thirty 
five years removed from Herschel Walker's last game as a college football player, and nobody's nobody's come along and and t- taken his place yet. Um, uh, but there've been there've been so many great ones. But, but you keep, it's like you know all the great running backs at Georgia. Herschel still leads yeah. in yardage. He only played. The, the, to me, the biggest what if about Herschel yes. Walker is what if he had come back for his senior year? If he had come back for his senior year in 1983, Georgia and Auburn met in Athens. Oh, man. Bo Jackson was sophomore. It would have been Bo versus Herschel in Athens for the SEC championship. Auburn, Auburn won the game, but that—that that is the biggest. Because he would have, if he had stayed healthy, he would have put the rushing record out there so oh, far. Man. Nobody would ever touch. This, this is the, this is. I'm so glad that we've had this conversation because this is, and this is the perfect segue to my next question, Tony. I'm, I'm sitting here in my apartment in downtown Atlanta. I can see Piedmont Park out my window. So we're talking foliage, fall in the south, hard-hitting SEC football. Explain to Connor, and, and, and why I've been saying this for years, why Auburn and Georgia is the greatest rivalry in college football. And, and also tell me if you're bummed that it's moving to October instead of late November when those leaves start changing. Well, Auburn, Auburn Georgia has always been my favorite college football rivalry because of the, the tone. Right. The tone that it's set for so there was there was one little hiccup when Nick Fairley misbehaved, but yeah. we won't get in we won't get into that. Uh, but the and it's like brother against brother. It's there's so many interconnections between Auburn and Georgia. Obviously, Pat Dye played at Georgia, was an All American at Georgia. Vince Dooley uh, played at Auburn, head head coach for 25 years. Just a lot of people who went, and you know Auburn's not that far away. And a lot of my friends are. Auburn peoples, and it falls on a wonderful time in the calendar, mid-November, where the shadows are starting oh, to change, and it's starting to, and it's starting really to get cool. And usually, there is something on the line. Like Vince Dooley won six SEC championships, and I think five of them were clinched in Auburn. Uh, I just just stuff like that. So it's always been my favorite. Uh, I, I've come. I've made my peace with the idea of moving the game. I understand why. I am more concerned about playing the game in the future. Yeah. Because when this this current SEC scheduling model model ends, uh, I think it's twenty twenty five. There's going to be some serious discussion about ending the permanent crossovers, and everybody knows what that means. You know, Georgia Georgia always plays Auburn. Alabama always plays Tennessee. Florida always plays LSU. There's going to be some serious discussion about doing away with those in order to get teams rotating uh, through the schedule more quickly, and I would hate I would hate to see that. So uh, I was a- I was able to live with moving the game. I would hate to lose the game. That's my biggest concern. That's, that's a good point. So Tony, let's uh, let's spin it forward to today's Georgia squad before we get you out on Family Feud. Um, so. You were you're, you're extremely tapped into that fan base, just kind of being in the center of it, knowing what a national championship means to that group of people, and it's become this this angst now in, in these first couple of years of of the Kirby Smart era, where you just get so close, and then one thing happens, and then it mm-hmm. all all goes away, and really that's been the theme kind of throughout this decade. 
what what is that 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 level that that fans are feeling right now? Do you get a sense that this year in 2019, with we're expecting this to be the last year of Jake Fromm, DeAndre Swift, and, and you know, do you think that there is this this pressure that we've built this up for there to be like this? I don't, and I hate saying title or bust, but just where do you get the sense that this fan base is at right now, heading into 2019? Well, there's there's no doubt that there's a certain element of the fan base who thinks the the window is closing, which is totally absurd. Uh, last time I checked, Georgia was given about 20 to 25 scholarships every year, and uh, the people they're giving them to seem to be somewhat talented. <laughs> uh, so I think I, uh, I think they'll be fine. Now, is this is this a, is this a group of players that is capable of having a special year? You better believe it is. Uh, with Jake, with Jake Fromm, with one, certainly one of the best offensive lines in the country, with DeAndre Swift, uh, I, I think Georgia has a chance to have a special year. But yeah, fa- fans. There, there, there are really two groups of fans, and uh, there's really two ways of looking at this. One is we've had our opportunities to beat Alabama. We let it slip away. And if we don't do it now, we're never going to do it because they'll be in our heads and we'll be we'll be hexed. Okay, we'll never do it. I, I, other fans look at it this way, and this is the way that I look at it. No, what you keep doing is you keep knocking on the door. You keep putting yourself in a position to win, and sooner or later, you're going to win. Jim Val Jim Valvano taught me that a long time ago when I was covering his teams. He said he said there are two there are two components to winning. One is you have to put yourself in position to win. Then you have to win. But if you don't ever, you don't ever put yourself in position to win, you're not going to win. So now, now Georgia's been is in a position to win from a talent standpoint. They have certainly uh, kept up with Alabama in recruiting, recruiting exceedingly well. They're just now they've got to break through and do it. I, I think I think this team is capable of doing that. Tony, we're gonna we're gonna get you out of here on on Family Feud. It's it's a game we play, um, and and I want to say something serious before we get to it because it's it's a lot of fun. We're just just rapid fire questions and rapid fire answers. Uh, there's there's no sense to it, or and there's no prize at the end. But I do want to say one thing seriously. This has been hearing Tony Barnhart do impressions from Larry Munson calls has been one of the best <laughs> things I've I think I've ever had to do and call a job. And I it has been just an absolute honor to, to to have you on the podcast and and we really appreciate it. This is this has been a, a highlight. I, I can't wait to go tell my fiance about this for the rest of the well, day. <laughs> I'm glad it's been fun. So let's let's have a little bit more fun here. Let's do family feud. It's gonna be ten questions. Um like I said, kind of nonsensical rapid fire questions. The the first thing that pops into your mind you tell us the answer, and are you ready to get started? Sure. Okay, Your first question. Who is your favorite college football reporter or writer? Uh, Ivan Mazel. Okay, I like that. Uh, second question, lake or beach? Oh, beach. Okay, all right. Um, okay, sweet tea. And preferably... Pref- Go ahead. Pre- preferably destined. Oh, Okay. Destin, nice. Destin, yes. Spent many, spent too many college spring breaks there. I'll say that. Um, up next, <laughs> sweet tea or ice cold Coca Cola? Not even close. Sweet tea. Ooh, okay, all right. You can th- you can throw a little lemon. You can throw a little lemonade in there and get yourself an Arnold Palmer. You can do that. That's just. So. I just yes, want to hear that audio clip go. forever. That's that's perfect. Um, uh, bucket list <laughs> concert. Uh, 
I want to see Neil Diamond one more time. I've seen him. I've seen him three times. I want to see him again. Nice. Okay. Nice. Um, okay. Switching gears to Athens. What's your favorite bar or restaurant in Athens? Uh, the Last Resort, a little hole in the wall. Yes, sir. That has the best crab cake. Best crab cakes in Athens. They they have Not their brunch fun. too is incredible. Yes. Okay, that's a really good answer. That's that's a lot of points there. Um, okay, next question. What's your favorite non-SEC campus or stadium? Darrell K. Royal Memorial Stadium, Austin, Texas. Second, one of the great college towns on the planet Earth. Okay, I like that. That's good. Um, let's see here. What is your favorite non-sports movie of all time? Casablanca. Oh. So you guys got to remember, I'm old now. I, I, I go old school on this stuff. Mine, mine, you, you guys have probably never seen Casablanca. I have not. Oh, I've seen <laughs> that. That's, that's timeless, ask, ask man. Your okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's fa- okay. That's that's. I've heard of it for sure. Mine was Tommy Boy. So yours obviously a lot more culture than I was. I would say that. Um, okay, I, I got I got one for you here. What's who's a more intense coach, Nick Saban or Irk Russell? Oh, Ark Russell. We got Ark Russell was one of the great motivators of people I have ever met in my life, and uh, you, the guys who played for him, would literally run through a wall. And he, before the game, he would headbutt listen. his players and, and start bleeding down his forehead. And his wife begged him to quit doing it, and he would. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my, my dad was on the sidelines for the '77 Bama Georgia game. And he said he about peed his pants when he saw that happen. He was like, "What in the world have I gotten myself into?" Goodness, that's 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 a perfect answer, um, Connor. I also do that before every single podcast we record, just so you know. Uh, okay, so, so we have two more questions. When does Georgia win the national championship? Soon. Okay, we'll take that. And then, last but not least, there's no Fair better question, no better person to ask this question to. We do a, a, a kind of a different podcast episode every couple of weeks which is called um it just meant more where we look back at a classic game in the past 20 years in the sec we've done the 2012 sec championship game we've done the 2007 lsu florida game what game do we have to cover next in terms of classic sec football games the most emotional experience i've been a part of was december 2nd 1989 oh the day that Alabama came to Auburn for the first time. Uh, a state patrolman told me there were 30,000 people lining the road for the Tiger Walk. And as I was going through there, I could see grown men crying because of the emotion of the experience. David Housel, the great sports information director, athletic director, quintessential Auburn man, says, I couldn't wait for Alabama to take the field so I could slam the gate behind them. Oh, my God. <laughs> and when it was over, Alabama, you got to remember, was undefeated, ranked yep. number two. If they win, they play, they play Miami for the national championship. Uh, Auburn won and shared the SEC championship. And when it was over, Pat Dye told the media and everybody there, about a letter he got from a World War II veteran uh, about when he was in a foxhole, I think it was in Germany, all he could think about was getting back home to go to the Auburn-Alabama game 
And he said, man, that's what we're fighting Good for. God. That is, that's incredible. Yeah. I, have, I have goosebumps. Was, we lost that game. We have goosebumps. <laughs> Goodness. Tony, that was that was awesome. We we appreciate you coming on. We we got to do this again. I'm I'm baffled. It's my fault. This should not have taken this yeah, long man. To, get you, to get you on the pod. Um, we'll we'll make we'll definitely circle back. We're we're gonna have to talk to you during the 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 regular. I'll season. I'll go watch Casablanca uh, right now. Thanks for coming on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, and it, uh, it, and best it, of luck. It, it's a it's a great film and. Uh, one of the best jobs Humphrey Bogart's ever done. So. Okay. Very true. Very true. Uh, Tony, best of luck hosting Feinbaum. We'll, we'll, again, like I said, we'll send the bat signal out for our listeners to give you um, nothing but compliments. But uh, thank you, and uh, we'll talk real soon. Okay, guys. Thanks. Thanks, Tony. Appreciate it. All right. As we alluded to earlier, it is bachelor party weekend. You are heading to Vegas for your bachelor party. I am heading to good old Milwaukee. Beautiful. Yes, the, the land of beer um, for, for my good buddy's bachelor party. Um, so we have fourth and wrong bachelor party edition. Let's do it. I'm pretty pumped. And also, you know what? I couldn't decide on four. So we have five questions this week. Oh, It's my party. Oh, I'll wow. do whatever I want to. Uh, each and every week we do this fourth and wrong. Usually it's four questions or advice you want answered uh, by me and Connor O'Gara. Look how I did that. Hillsinky. Like um, this week, we do have five questions. Make sure, guys, we should have mentioned, mentioned this off the top. Make sure you are joining the Facebook group, Saturday Down South Podcast, the Facebook group. A lot of good conversation, a lot of bad conversation sometimes, if you're a Georgia and a Florida fan. Regardless, join in. It's a lot of fun. Everyone's just talking football. It's a very good time. Uh, anyway, so this is where we got those questions from this week. Here is your first question. What is the worst bachelor party legend slash story you've ever heard of from Brian? Alder. All right. So, so these four guys, they went to Vegas and they got on the rooftop oh and gosh. they had like this, this pregame shot. I, apparently they took a pill accidentally and then they blacked out. They don't remember any of the night. And then the entire next day, day and a half, really. Uh, before the wedding, they had to figure out what in the world they did, how they lost the, the groom, how they, which is just impossible. And they got themselves in all sorts of hijinks, and it was just a disaster. But it was a very entertaining hour and a half. So, my group of friends, uh, they've they've tamed themselves. Now that was a reference to the Hangover. If you guys didn't pick up on that, how about that right in? <laughs> Says we should work in teams. Um, it's not illegal. It's frowned upon. Thanks a lot, Bin Laden. <laughs> Bin Laden. Um, so in 2012, I had started this this uh, like like sales job that was awful, and my buddy Rich just gotten back from Afghanistan. So it's not a it's not a bachelor party, but it's 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 very similar. And uh, we just we went on a guys trip like every like six months. They were gonna go to Vegas. And I was like, you know what? I need to be responsible. I just started this job. I shouldn't go out to Vegas. I know how I am. Not gonna do it. Friday morning, I'm driving into work at 7 a.m. in Atlanta time, and I get a phone call from my friends asking if I've seen DeFelice, who's one of our, our buddies. And I was like, no, I haven't heard from him. Like, what's going on? They said he walked in to the hotel room, hugged everybody, um, said, how was war, Rich? And then said, I'll, I'll see you tomorrow. I'm going to go find the sketchiest strip club in Las Vegas. And couldn't find him anywhere. Like, no update. He apparently... At 10.30 that morning, I just got a text of him, and he was shirtless in some parking lot of a strip club five miles off the strip where one of our friends found him in the back back room. 
Um, and the worst part was he, like, he was 24, I think, at the time. So, he, like, his card was, like, attached to his parents. Oh! So, like, he was, like, putting everything on this card. Oh, and, man. And so, like, it was, they were, like, it didn't overdraft anything, but it was, like, a lot of money being charged to his card. And they they started calling his mom and dad to, like, a, like to approve it. And so the first thing I, like, I, the kid, nobody can find him. They're freaking out. Everyone's seen The Hangover. DeFelice was $3,900 later found in this way off the strip strip club. So Why did he have to go to the sketchiest strip club? He's from Philadelphia. Oh, so that's Maybe just, I that's shouldn't just have said it. his name. Maybe I should have said something else. Um, <laughs> my bad, Brett. Anyway, uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's a very good guy. Anyway, second question. That was the craziest thing I've, I've had experience with. Uh, what fictional character is amazing in their own show or movie, but would be insufferable if you had to deal with them in mundane, everyday situations? That's from Ryan Buckner. Oh, what about um, what about Phil Bradley Cooper in The Hangover? He feels like he feels like he would just be a jerk to deal with all the time. I feel like that's like, the person I identified most with in that entire movie. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, no big deal. I, I'm, I'm Bradley Cooper. You're like Michael Scott when you, you try and say like, oh yeah, I'm, a, I'm a model. Yeah, like uh, models are so vapid and they're so vain. Um, no, I, I would say that Bradley Cooper, his character in The Hangover, yeah. would be really tough to deal with in everyday life because he's just seems like he's always kind of selfish. And yeah, he's kind of the biggest douche in the room. He stole um, from kids. He did steal from kids. People forget about yeah. that. He just took all their, all their field trip money and just pocketed it and that put was... it towards that villa. Um, that should have been yeah, addressed he, in the second one. He was amazing, though, in, in the movie. Like yeah. his, his role really tied it all together. Did you know that they had considered Matt Damon for that role? I did not know that. But Matt, I think Matt Damon turned it out. Like, Brett, like Bradley Cooper was like on the very like low, low yeah. on that list. Um, kind of like, you know, Dan Mullen in Florida. No, that was mean. That was his ex miss joke. <laughs> that was mean. Um, no, but he was very low on the list of people that they wanted to get for big that yet. role. For for the role of Zach Galifianakis, they wanted Jack Black. That I heard about that. Zach Galifianakis is like there were things he did in that in that uh, movie that I'd already seen him like do like in his like original stand up specials like on Comedy Central like w- like five six seven years like prior to that. He he's just God, he's, he was so good. So he's good. actually probably a better answer to this question because he would be really creepy to deal with. You wouldn't be able to get within a mile of a school, right? I Classic. Think yeah. 500 feet. Um, 500 feet, that's right. That's right. You ready to let the dogs out? Who? Who? Uh, uh, Grandpa Joe Batman uh, was the um, one who provided that, that great question. No, that was not. That was from Ryan Buckner. My answer was Grandpa <laughs> oh. Joe. And why did you say Grandpa Joe Batman? Like it was one name. Because there was a comma in there. I wasn't sure if it was like Ken Griffey Jr. No. Okay, no. Batman would be awful to deal with. Just he, I hate I hate his voice. Are we talking Bruce Wayne or are we talking Batman? Either way. Like, Bruce, we get it, dude. Like, you have more money than, like, anyone else in this godforsaken city. I know you're Batman. Just stop. And stop talking like that. Also, Grandpa He's Joe. like this. Yeah, Grandpa Joe. I've, this is, like, finally starting to catch on, I feel like, on social media. But I've been saying this for about eight or nine years, that Grandpa Joe is the single worst person in the history of movies. And, like, if you ever, like, think you had it bad, at least you aren't the mom from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Because Grandpa Good Joe point. was the... I mean, she's at home making, like, laundry soup in this, like, I don't know, one-bedroom apartment that's, like, 12 square feet, and there's a bed in the middle, the very middle of the room. 
One bedroom, one bed. Because they yeah. don't understand feng shui. And Grandpa Joe, after 20 years of not helping out at all, is like, oh, chocolate? Yeah, man, let's do this. He's the worst. Um, it's a fire take. I don't know if I've ever I heard that before. Grandpa Joe. He, man, he's very lazy. Anyway, um, all right. From Another one from Brian Oliver. A hangover remake in Vegas starring SEC coaches. Who plays who? Let's see. Dan Mullen plays the dentist. Okay. Um, Ed Helms. That's pretty Ed, good. That character. Um, Galifianakis is played probably by... I don't want to just go with body types here because that's the the easy one. But the crazy wild card in the room. Um, Muschamp would be possible. I would have put him for the, the cop for Rob Riggle. Pow! Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, that, that would make a lot of sense. Um, who would be Bradley Cooper? Jimbo Fisher. Yeah, okay. I feel like there's. he's definitely – I feel like that's exactly how he talks to his friends. Cliff Kingsbury? Well, if that was oh, only no, SEC no. guys. Yeah, only SEC guys. He's in the NFL. Okay, what okay, are you okay. doing right now? Um, <laughs> no, I, I would say those two. And then for uh, – what do you call it? For Doug? Doug. Who's the worst? Probably – he was the worst. I would say Doug would be uh, – I don't want to say Chad Morris, but I – Oh, that's mean. I mean, yeah, but, but he's just kind of there. Barry Odom. Yeah. Barry Odom would be good, even though they look nothing alike. And then uh, for Zach Galifianakis, I'd say Mullen. Oh, you say Mullen for oh because okay, when he came out with those like like that T-shirt tucked into his fanny pack, that's it, just I, Mullen's never done that, but he came close when he tried to do that whole dance with Felipe on the sideline last year. It's a satchel. It's a satchel. And you had Jones. There's Skittles in there. <laughs> There's a jungle cat in there. Um, <laughs> all right. Fourth question: Best marriage advice you or Connor has ever received, and from whom? Michael Simmons. Batman. Happy wife, happy oh, life. God. No, 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 we're not going to go that cliche. We're not going to go that cliche. Um, just the base, this is, this, is, this is still a cliche, don't get me wrong, but just the basic principle of compromise. Yeah. You don't really understand compromise as much until you're, you think you understand compromise when you have a girlfriend or something like that, but I think it's different when you're engaged, you're married so or something real. like that. You got you to kind of just bite the bullet sometimes. You do, you do things that you don't want to do necessarily, and... It's worth it. It's worth yeah. it for a variety of reasons because there are going to be a lot of times when you're going to want to sit on your couch and you're going to want to watch 16 hours of football and you're going to have a wife in the other room that's like, this is not what I signed up for. But she's like, oh, wait. But that one time that he watched that House Hunters marathon with me or the one time that we got to go for a very fun walk around you know, the, the local park or something yeah. like that or whatever it is. Like I said, the off-season is your key time to be able to do whatever your significant other wants. Just the basic principle of compromise and just like the whole thing of, you know, like being a good person and wanting to yeah. be a partner that your wife wants to spend the rest of her life with probably would help with that too. But I'd say, yeah, compromise is the big one. Yeah, I think you get to a certain age at, at some point where like, because like I, like I was a pretty big douchebag in my 20s, I feel like, especially like relationships. But like you get to an age where it's like you realize like what's important and and you also this find you find somebody that's like, you know, like checks all those boxes and, 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 and really honestly kind of like you make up for what you like, they make up for kind of what you might lack in and like they, they build you up and, and make you better. But I would say the best advice I ever had was, I forgot who said it, but um, the key to like a successful relationship is not love. Cause like love, people always say that like, you know, love is all we need. Like, no, it's commitment. Cause you're going to like, there's gonna be times like you don't like each other. Like you flat out just are angry or mad or, or whatever it's commitment. So, got to be willing to commit to somebody 
that you want to spend, you want to you want to bring as part of your wolf pack. There you I go. That's really what it comes there down you go. to. Yeah. Um, and then, thank you for just crapping all over the one serious thing I've ever said on this podcast. <laughs> um, oh, also, you know what? From last last episode, I remember what my hot take was going to be. It's the SEC official it? Twitter uh, is going to be done by November. Oh, there you go. I like that. Back to okay, the last question good. for fifth we and need, wrong. We need updates on that from 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 all of our viewers. We yeah. need to be. We want to be sent that tweet first when that shuts down and when you can no longer click on it. Please, please let us know because we want to be right on top of that. We yeah. want to, maybe that's emergency pod worthy. And a hundred dollars to if if one of you is responsible for them shutting it down because it's something you said. Oh, uh, last bonus, last but not yeah. least, what is your most embarrassing purchase you've ever made? You're gonna say Man, shake this weight. Is tough. I don't have a shake weight. Okay. No, I do have a I do have a free weight in the corner here, but I didn't purchase that. My mother in law got okay. that for me. Um, Just one. It's free like weight? one of those. It's it's like one of those where you can change it to like it. 25, 20, uh, 10, yeah. 15, all that stuff. Um, let's see. Most embarrassing purchase. I've, I'm not like that big of a spender, so this is kind of tough. Um, I bought like a just a god awful Hawaiian shirt. Not that long. Like when I was like old enough to know that it was an ugly Hawaiian mm-hmm. shirt. But I bought it to wear it as like an everyday thing and not really Ooh. a joke. And it was a tough look. It was I think it was like sixth grade or something. And I was sixth like, sixth grade? I'm gonna, I'm gonna mix it up. I'm gonna do something a little bit different. I'm I, I like wore this I'm shirt. I'm gonna have too zero often. friends. Yeah. I, I think I wore it like once or twice yeah. a week. Um, and, and that was I guess from a usage standpoint, I got good use out of it, but in terms of an embarrassing purchase that probably did not make me any friends, that's the one that kind of sticks out. Um, okay, that's fair. I think embarrassing dumbest purchase was that cadillac i bought in 2015 uh or this tattoo that's on my body forever the most embarrassing purchase is i think i've told the story in the pod before but it's when like growing up like we didn't have that much money so like mom was like all right here you go here's you have this total amount that we're going to spend on christmas and i can buy you gifts like for that amount or you can just have that amount of money it was like a like 100 150 bucks and you know, it's 200 bucks, but it's like you can have that amount and buy whatever you want and then just open the, the presents on Christmas. And Ooh. I was 15 and we were at Publix and they had a ticket master and I went and bought a, a one ticket to Creed because oh. I was big into this is before no. they saw. Oh, yeah. And then I came back and I was like, OK, you know what? Don't get two because they were like $45 a piece. I was like, there's no reason to do this. Keep in mind, this is 2001 when they didn't, they weren't like totally awful yet. Like we just, they were always epic. We just didn't know at every turn. Yeah, and so I was like, all right. And I, I remember going, like back to my mom. I like, I have the ticket. She's like, you bought one ticket for yourself. You're 15. You don't have a, you don't have a driver's license. (laughs) Uber's not a real thing. You don't have any money to take a cab. Like, what? You're an idiot. And so like, and I was like, oh my god. So then I had to go back in line get another ticket. And obviously by that time, like they're not like together. And I remember like asking my dad, I was like, um, I don't know who like, I'm going to take to this concert. Like, I don't know why I thought I was going to take anybody, but he'd like gone to all these really cool concerts, like growing up, like, you know, the Stones and Zeppelin and, and the Who. Creed. I had Creed. And he was like, just, he goes, <laughs> I swear to God, this is really good. He goes, go up to the hottest girl in school and say, hey, I got two tickets to the hottest rock band in the country. <laughs> swear to you. And I, you know what, guys? Fun, fun fact: that line didn't work. That did not. Ha- oh, Nobody man. came to crew with me besides my dad in a leather jacket. It was. Oh there my you go. So gosh! That, that's that's one most, of the best stories you've told. Oh, gosh. That's, that's so great. This weekend, um, with the group of friends that I'll be with this weekend, we have a kind of just a common understanding. If Creed comes on the radio, or if it's on at any place that we go to, 
We we turn on our Creed voice, which is and we will belt out an entire song of that. And we get looks, and if you're not kind of Good in looks. on it, uh, yeah, not necessarily positive looks, but. We have a, a deep appreciation for for some good old fashioned Creed. That's an awesome story. It's though. something. I'll that. say that. <laughs> All right, Marler. If you are able to talk to us next week, that's a good sign. Good. That means you are alive. The plan. I know. I said originally that the Rachel Barbo interview was going to come out to come out with this podcast. It's instead going to come out with next week's because we're going to be recording on Monday. I'll still be in Chicago. Not that anybody cares about that. But you will trying to be recovering. You will be recovering yeah. and surviving. Hopefully, hydrating from your bachelor party oh, weekend. Gosh. If you, if we have a hangover part, I guess it would be part four because they've already done one, two, and three. Unfortunately, they did two and three. But if we have a hangover part four situation with you, um, I'll just I'll I'll fly solo. And it's been real, man. Thanks, man. That means a lot. It was really nice of you. I thought that was going a different direction, <laughs> but that sounds good. Um, make sure that you are following along for all of Marler's Vegas content. Um, Maybe going to be going... Are you going Facebook Live in Vegas? So, I don't really want to do it tonight, so I was thinking about it, but um, I might, I might. Because we're going to get there and by like t- right around 8. By tonight, you mean Wednesday, because by the time people listen yeah. to this, they'll be in the past. True. Um, but, yes, make sure that you're following along with Marler. Tweet him random stuff. Maybe a little check-ins, like, hey, you alive? Like, how's everything going out there? You up? How's Uncle Chris doing? Um... We, we, we will get a full update next Yeah, we'll week. have some stories for sure. That. Um, but yes, uh, make sure that you are following our Facebook group, joining our Facebook group, Saturday Down South Podcast on Facebook. Make sure that you are following us on all forms of social media, Instagram, Twitter, at the STS Pod, at SDS at CJ O'Gara. Coach O, we didn't get you for the pod, but are you going to be making a little trip out to Sin City to spend some time with your good buddy, Mark? I'm already here. I've been drinking daggers okay. full straight days. It might mean too much. Man, you imagine playing craps with Coach O? Kind of be the best. <laughs> Talk to you next week.